0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 12 of Control Issues. What a great episode. And I know I start a lot of these out like that. But for me, this really is a learning experience to, um, you know, really bask in the experience, strength, and hope that the guests provide on here. Um, It's kind of like sponsorship, right? Like a sponsee thinks that sponsorship is so incredible and is growing them or they're growing from it, excuse me but really a lot of it is growth for the sponsor, right? And for me as being the host, I'm just here to soak up as much knowledge and experience and wisdom from those that are on the show. And with Aiden, it was a perfect example, right? Um, Aiden lives in Arizona. We're not super close friends, but I have heard wonderful things about him. I have met him one time. We shared some awesome tacos at the best taco place in the entire country. La Santisima, in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, but we weren't super close. But I knew that the message that he carried uh, was something that I wanted to hear. And so through the joy of technology, shout out social distancing and quarantine, um, I asked Aiden to be on the show. He was able to join in via Facebook live and we sat down and I mean, he called me out on a one little thing about balance, which was, uh, you know, I felt a little attacked. but at the same point in time, he was totally right. And I can grow from that, right? Every experience that we have in life is an opportunity to either grow from it or continue to sit in it. Um, And today I don't choose to sit in things. Sometimes I sit in them for a little bit. But for the most part, I'm here to grow and to glean from those around me who have walked this path before me and those who continue to walk it. And so Aiden and I talked about balance and moving around and cultivating the fellowship that you so crave. And I mean, that man is just so eloquent. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. We taped it Facebook Live, which you can follow along on the Facebook Live episodes by following Control Issues on Facebook. You'll just do a little like and follow on the page. Um, Those Facebook Lives are taped every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, The audio gets published the Monday after the fact, Um, so the next episode will be on Tuesday, May the 19th, so if you want to join us um, at that time at 7 p.m., it's going to be a little different. We're going to spice it up. I'm going to do a little question and answer thing, just me, Um, and it should be a good time, and I mean, I'm going to get really vulnerable, so be here for getting weird. Um, so yeah, you can join us at that point. Um, keep updated on the podcast by following control issues, 19 on Instagram. If you had feedback, feel free to shoot me an instant message, a DM, whatever they're calling it these days, um, on Instagram or on Facebook, or you can shoot me an email at control issues, 19 at gmail.com. But as always, I'm so grateful for those who are listening. Um, That's what this is about, right? Is us continuing to connect, even if it's over some audio and potentially a video. So at this point, without further ado, here's episode 12 of Control Issues. I cannot believe I've made it to 12 episodes. Um, I had my little hiatus and I was like, this is done forever. Um, and now we're 12 episodes in and I'm super excited and stoked to be here. Um, for anyone listening, um, to the audio after the fact, we were taping this live on Facebook. I'm here with the lovely Aiden. He's here from Arizona. um, by many moves from what I hear. Um, but so yeah, um, socially distant and it's a really cool opportunity to get to have someone on that doesn't live in my state. I live in Georgia and he's, uh, many, many, many miles away, many time zones. And, um, we still have this opportunity. I'm so grateful that you took time out of your day to be with me and, to you know have awkward conversation before this started um (laughs) so this is aiden and um aiden and i have actually only been in the same room one other time right just once
1: tacos
0: We we had tacos um i was out in arizona and I wanted to eat at my favorite taco place before I left. And it's really close to the Phoenix airport. Um, And I invited my friend Chris and he was like, oh, well, Aiden's gonna come too. And I was like, okay, I've heard so many things, but I don't know him, but it ended up being a really good time. Um, So I'm grateful you're here and I know I did some research about you beforehand, so I know some things, but I'm really excited to get to know you better and hear what you have to say. So for those of you who don't know you, um, and probably for me too, could you give us like a little Reader's Digest, like where are you from, how, what's your deal, where do you live now? I think I kind of already outed that one, but still Reader's Digest version of Aiden.
1: I don't know. I don't know if I've ever been asked to summarize myself, nor do I think I'll be able to effectively, but. That's um, fair. Yeah, no, I, uh, Tucson, Arizona, born Phoenix, Arizona, lived, moved all over the place. Um, I'm just a curious guy, I guess. I'm obviously sober. I had an issue when it came to heroin. Um, but, uh, but that was probably a deeper curiosity. And okay. it wasn't scratched right with heroin. It didn't really do it all. So the rest of my life since, since that's been fixed, has still been centered around, you know, exploring thought and curiosity and better life Ooh. and all that stuff. So.
0: I like that. So how long have you been sober? 12 years. Oh, 12 years <laughs> in the 12th episode. That is so serendipitous. <laughs> oh,
1: There we go. Perfect. I yeah. love
0: it. Uh, so 12 years, that's incredible. You know, um, I have my little baby three years and I, and I'm very proud of myself and I'm very Me, glad yeah. to, but, uh-huh. um, but that's incredible that you have, uh, you've surpassed my using time. Like that's, I don't know, that's a, maybe a small goal I have. I'm like, I can't wait till the day that I can say I have now been sober longer than I was using and drinking. Cause it made up such a large chunk of my, you know, teenage and then my like early adult years. Sure. Um, yeah. Because I have a baby face, but I'm 28 years old. So it actually was a good bit of being in, in my early 20s. Um, yeah, so too. 12 years sober. You live in Phoenix now? Yep. Okay. And how how in the world do you make it through those summers? Because I've been out there. The only times I've visited, it, it's been 115 degrees. God bless you all. Um, I guess you grew up you grew up in that climate, right? Is Tucson different than Phoenix? I know nothing about Arizona other than Phoenix.
1: So. I mean, they're they're hot, man. I mean, above 110 degrees is hot. There's no getting around it. Um, and I don't think you get used to it either. I think okay. I think to survive in Arizona, you just get faster at mm-hmm. moving from your house to your car <laughs> <laughs> okay. and, and so you get uh you get quicker at doing that you uh you start being very very wary of the seatbelt buckle you know we call oh, this yeah. the arizona the arizona brand when uh when you get in the car in the summer and you you get like a second third degree burn from your seat belt mm-hmm. but um i make it through the summers now by disappearing back up north to portland okay so um Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got, I, I spent blood and sweat and energy and creativity getting, getting a tiny home built and prepared and, uh, situated up in Portland. So for that very reason, so that I could disappear disappear during the summers and also because nobody wants to deal with Portland in the winter, you know, December is gorgeous. Yeah, So yeah, that's, that's the plan. We'll so, see if the pandemic lets it, lets it happen.
0: but yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, hopefully you can, you can drive. I don't know if that's, I don't know the distance. I do know a lot of geography. I could list all the state capitals, but when you get into the West, I'm just not as familiar because I grew up on the East Coast and my family mostly lives on the East Coast. And the first time I'd ever been out West was last year in July when I went mm. to Phoenix for the first time. And then a month later, I came back and then I went to L.A. And I had never been to California at all. So that was a cool experience. L.A. is not my favorite. It was kind of dirty, to be honest. But it was nice and I'm really glad I got to go. So you mentioned Portland when I first heard your name many years ago. And I was like a baby in sobriety and just getting involved in service work. I think you lived in Portland, right? What, What prompted the move to Portland or have you moved around a lot?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, uh, back in probably 2014, 2015, um, made the first move out of Arizona. I'd always wanted to travel and live in other places, but it's a funny thing, man. You know, I have I have lots of dreams that are mitigated and paralyzed by some sort of fear of some sort of unknown. So for a long time, it kept me in Arizona. Um, okay. But I went from Arizona to Oakland, spent a year in Oakland, um, and the the reason i I did this as soon as I had a job, the very, very first job that I had that didn't require physical attendance. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I could no longer I had no more reason to to stay in Arizona um, right and because I needed to get out for any any reason other than I wanted to be experience other things in other places. Um, so yeah, you know oakland was was a wild adventure. Um, lots of crazy art, lots of lots of fun new uh, experiences there. but then, Um, it's expensive, man. Even Oakland was was like back then was, you know, I was paying like 14, 1500 bucks for a room in a loft Wow, um, in West Oakland. So (laughs) when the lease came up, we were, we we realized that it would be cheaper to, to move all the way to Portland than it would be to get another, another lease in Oakland. So again, same situation. No, no real reason to go to Portland other than why not. And, uh, and we could, so it was, uh, it was a pretty awesome, pretty awesome experience. And we spent, we spent a good chunk of time there. I really, really, really love that city.
0: Oh, I, I've always wanted to go. I'm sad. I missed, there was a, a world convention there in 2018. And unfortunately at the same time, my grandfather passed. And so I had to I'm go, to oh, I didn't have to, I got to go to Florida to spend time with my family. And uh, my grandfather was an awesome dude. Died 40 years sober was kind of the start to sobriety in my family. Um, but I missed out on Portland, and I was really sad. I saw lots of pictures, and uh, someday, someday I will go. I've been to Portland, Maine, a lot, but uh, I had it Portland. very different. I'll <laughs> still, still a little bit on the like hipster side. Yep. Lots of food and beer. But um, so a couple weeks ago, I had my buddy Jarrett on here, and he moved from um, from Florida, and he has a bunch of time. Um, how did it? like right now, if I was to move, I would feel very, I would have a lot of fear because unless I moved to Phoenix, Birmingham or Nashville, like I know people there and I think I'd be okay. But what was the experience like being sober and moving to a new city? Um, did you, did you already have roots there or did you have to kind of figure that out? Or what was that like?
1: It was strange. It was, it was like unexpected in both ways. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that we are really lucky. Anywhere mm-hmm. we go, we have family, essentially, you know, we really do. Um, and it doesn't feel like that, or you could say it, and it lacks the weight of reality. So so that was what I felt first, you know, the first couple of meetings I went to in Oakland, it was like, you are my family. Um, right. And that was really profound. And, and, you know, it was, obviously, a lot of the fear was was trying to figure out, you know what kind of community you're going to have you know because mm-hmm. i've i've come and we can talk more about this later but i've come to believe that that the quality of your happiness is contingent almost exclusively or is most impacted by the quality of your relationships with other people um ooh i like that you know so so introvert extrovert anybody in between you know your personal relationships if they suck or they don't they're not there then uh you know, I can, I can kind of indicate, I can probably guess how you're, how you're doing most of the time. Um, or at least you could look at me and you could weigh, you know, how's Aiden's community? Is it good? He's, right. doing, he's doing good, you know? And if he's, if he's not, then then maybe not so much. Um, but that was the, that was the first really, really, really refreshing, refreshing aspect is, is as I went there and I plugged right in. Um, okay. however, What was also noticeable is, you know, I moved when I had six years sober, seven years sober, I think, at the time. And um, the phenomenon of breaking into another circle where those people had gotten sober together and trying to develop the same bond just doesn't happen, you know? So even Oakland and Portland, I, I created these amazing friendships and these amazing social circles, great, great, great community. But it was not like, it couldn't even touch the relationships mm-hmm. I had when I was in the trenches getting sober with with whoever was in the trenches with me here in Arizona. Um, right. And that was one of the main reasons I moved back eventually, you know, was that it? it, you know, there was like six or seven people Um, that, you know, it really, it really started to become pretty clear that them not being regularly in my life physically, going to Mm. meetings, seeing them regularly, um, was negatively impacting my life, you know, and obviously, I could make do, and I could definitely have workarounds, but um, when you're getting older, certain things (laughs) start becoming more important to you, Um, right, but yeah, but that was kind of the thing, so, so that was the juxtaposition, those were the two surprising factors, one was that, I can go anywhere and be safe and have like way more Mm -hmm. of a foundation for community than anybody anywhere, you know, any other kind of community or social structure, social like initiative. Um, And the other was that like, I still couldn't duplicate exactly the same kinds of friendships. Mm -hmm. And that was a real felt pain for me.
0: Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and I'm extremely extroverted. I'm, I'm definitely an extroverted introvert. I don't recharge with people, but I love being with people and my relationships with my friends and my family are so important. So I can only imagine what it's like to like or excuse me that was a lot of likes um, I can only imagine what it is like to remove yourself from that those like deep bonds and then having to form new bonds or continue to cultivate those other ones. A very close friend of mine is about to move next week mm. um, and I mean I, I could talk about my fears all day long. I'm not afraid to talk about them when people have the fear. <laughs> You know, topic and meetings. I'm like, awesome. I'm going to share everything um, because I, I have feel like it. Experience with this <laughs> uh, fear because um, I think it. They lose their power when you're able to share them and be honest about like, like I'm terrified of frogs. Okay, now the frogs still have power, but at the same point in time, I can be honest about it, and someone else can help me. Um, frogs is a terrible example, but when it comes to other things like abandonment or whatever, so that fear especially the one of abandonment is very present in my mind right now. You know, my life is about to change my, my my person that I talk to all the time. My person that I care about so deeply, um, is going to leave. And, um, I think that you can continue to maintain friendships from distances. I have lots of friends around the country that I love and communicate with on a daily basis, but it definitely puts, it's a lot harder, you know? Um, so I'm fearful.
1: Yeah, I, and I would actually not to make a correction necessarily. Oh I agree please do. with you hundred percent that it's that it's harder, but I think it just takes more consciousness. Okay. Um it's not that hard to pick up a phone mm-hmm. or to pick it up twice as often as you usually pick it up. And I think if anything has like been really, really hammered into us right now is that like tell long, long form phone conversations, long, not even FaceTime, but just long form phone conversations are incredibly viable when it comes to emotional happiness and and Mm -hmm. emotional health and friendships and nurturing those relationships. And I think what happens is like you said, it's, I think the default for humans, because obviously we haven't evolved with this technology. We haven't evolved, we evolved in small tribes where, where things were, you know, it were easy to kind of talk to you when, when you walked by, you know, and then offices and right. the office environments, same kind of situation, water cooler stuff. But now we were in until, until the pandemic we were in what I think it was a strange limbo where we had all the digital disconnection, right? We had all the excuses not to talk to each other, but we had all the tools to be more connected than ever. And mm-hmm. so what's happened is like we were totally disconnected by the technology, but now what we're realizing is that, you know, If I was in Portland right now when this was going on, if I still lived there, Mm -hmm. I would have totally recultivated all of the the super awesome relationships that I was missing so terribly, right? And it probably would have been incredibly viable. I don't know if I would have been, I wasn't depressed or in despair, but Mm -hmm. um, whatever I was wanting, I feel like maybe I wouldn't have been wanting as much if I had known, you know, Every couple days. Like maybe I'd call my people like once every couple of weeks. And that mm-hmm. felt good. That felt appropriate. But dude, I'm calling some people like two, three, four times a week, have an hour-long conversation. Yeah. You know, like two or three times a day I'm having conversations with different people like this. And it doesn't feel burdensome. It doesn't feel like, oh my gosh, I've been on the phone. It really just feels like that was a good damn dose of friendship, you know? Right. And so well, I'm grateful for that. Yeah.
0: And that's what fear does. Right. That what you just said is reality. Right. And that that's the the best percept or best perspective to have of the situation. Right. Because I've maintained other friendships where even people that I see like at most once a year, once every two years, if I'm lucky um, and those happen, no problem. I have Snapchat and FaceTime and I can make a phone call. I can do text messaging. There's so many different ways to get in touch with people nowadays. Um, but my fear says, oh, it's going to be hard, right? Like, oh, right. it's going to be burdensome. Oh, my. Or what will oh, they it's... think?
1: They're going right. to I'm needy, right?
0: <laughs> exactly. Which I am the queen of, right? Because I care so deeply, like part of my mental illness of having borderline personality disorder, which I'm not using that as like pulling the card of I'm crazy. But um, the way my brain is wired, I'm super empathetic and super attached to people. And then I also read into like, oh, you didn't text me back, so you must hate me. Um, And I didn't know that that came from a real place. Now I have tools to handle it. And usually it's like, Hey, no, they don't think you're crazy. They might, but it's fine. Um, but that's what fear does right fear puts the shit in my head that's not necessarily true um but it's, you have an incredible perspective on that and i'm gonna steal it and i can't wait till this is over so i can rewatch it well, um, and my remind myself
1: yeah my suffering yeah. has proved useful hopefully
0: that's you what know. this program is about right you're like,
1: welcome to prevent your suffering from my experience please thank you <laughs> yeah. um
0: my cousin said that earlier she was like uh we were getting trained on something at work and uh, my, my cousin is my boss mm-hmm. and she made a comment about how like you have to learn from your own mistakes, but if you can learn from others too, and mistakes is not the right word here. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Um, learn Pain. from someone Pain's else. Pain is
1: the right word. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Pain. <laughs> so I really liked what you had to say about friendships or, or relationships, excuse me, where they're the keystone of your happiness or serenity or whatever is the right word there. Um, How do you feel like you cultivate and grow the fellowship that you so crave in being in Arizona with the people that you know you moved away, you came back. Um, were you able to just pick right up? Or is it something you work at? Or I don't know, maybe you're 12 years sober and everyone just really close. Yeah. There's a lot of that's a lot of questions.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh it's definitely there. I don't have an answer necessarily. I can tell you what I've learned though, which was that like, um, which is that it is it is easier, it is much easier to actually put in the effort. And sometimes, mm-hmm. fuck, man, schedule calendar events, put it in Ooh. your phone reminders. Like, call one important person today. Right. Right. Um, there's no shame in that, and 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 feeling organized or hyper structured about something like that doesn't diminish from the juice that you get when you do it. Um, mm-hmm. So, so just do it. You know, um, most falling outs happen because. Somebody called and they didn't answer and they think Mm. it's their turn. Your job is to call me back. And that's so silly. And then we forget and then time goes by and then it becomes strangely awkward, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So mitigating for that in the first place. And then also if you're in that situation right now with anybody that you know right now, if you've got some Mm -hmm. old friend that you're thinking about right now, because you're all by yourself at home every day, all day, and you're like, you know what? It'd be cool to to see how so-and-so is doing. Just fucking call them, man. You know, see what happens. They're not going to answer whatever. That's no skin off your teeth. But, um, it's not about equanimity. It's not about you did this much friendship nurturing. Now it's my turn. I do like the idea of relationship bank accounts, but we can get carried away trying to Mm. establish balance. And I don't think that exists. I think it's always more or less, sometimes it's going to be always skewed in one direction. Um, But, uh, but that doesn't matter. You know, if you get what you get from that relationship, maybe you do need to carry the burden of, of organizing the continued contact. That's fine. It's not that much work. So I think that was the big lesson for me was, um, and this is, this is, this is why the lesson happened. I came back from Portland to Phoenix with high hopes of, Mm. of everything's going to be better now because now I'm back in Phoenix and it just didn't happen organically. There, I, okay. I, you know, not everybody rallied around me, you know, they <laughs> holler at me every day. So, um, I was in a similar situation. And, uh, and yeah, I just had to kind of change my perspective about, you know, it's worth the effort. And sometimes you got to make extra calls and so and so. But, um, that is not, that is a worthy price to pay, you know?
0: Yeah. I'd have yeah. to agree with that. Right. It's, it would be nice if life was a seesaw. Right. But there's always going to be someone that's having to, push a little bit harder to bring the seesaw up or vice versa right um and i my father taught me that and i'm not always great at remembering it. But I remember I had a friend when I was in elementary school and I felt like she didn't put in enough effort. And he made the comment that it's not 50-50. Nothing in life is 50-50. And you're going to have to put in, if you want to be 100% in a relationship, whether it's platonic or romantic, you're going to have to put in 100% of your heart. And hopefully they also put in 100% of their heart. But if they don't, then at least you did all that you could to Cultivate that relationship. And sometimes you get shot down, right? Sometimes friendships fade away. Sometimes people's lives change. Sometimes you get rejected. Um, right. but I definitely have I have yet to regret taking a shot at something that I cared about. Um, because at least I learned something from it. Yeah. So to kind of go to a totally different topic, but something I would like to learn from you. Um so you're very involved in service. I'm very, I'm very involved in service. Sometimes I want to say, unfortunately, I do love it. But for anyone listening, who's not familiar with service work, um, it's where we give our time and our effort to whatever fellowship we participate in, um, either picking up cigarette butts or sitting on committees or whatever have you. Um, and I fill a lot of my time with that. I was taught by my first sponsor to get involved and I happened to take incredible notes. And so I got pushed further and further into like, Hey, do this. Will you take notes for this? Um, and I'm very grateful, but what I want to ask after that long introduction is how do you find balance? Because it's eating away at my serenity Mm. you know, and I'm becoming very resentful. And I just want to. Sometimes I just want to walk away and be like, "Fuck it." But that's not who I am anymore. Um, I don't know if you have an answer to that or some suggestion, or you're kind of laughing. Thing in this
1: conversation, actually. Um, is Aiden teach me your life? <laughs> well, listen. I mean, it's it. You're probably going to have those times when you say "fuck it" and you get out, right? Um, right. But this interesting that this theme of balance is starting to kind of come come forward and fairness and equal mm. equal measure. Um, and I think that's just such a convenient expectation to have on so many things, whether it's division of labor, whether it's, um, you know, work life balance, right. Whether or not it's service versus real life. Um, and, and I don't think it needs to be cast out completely, but I do want to make it very clear that I believe it's an illusion. I don't think it's, it's, it's a worthy goal to strive for, which is balance. And instead what I like to do, and it's on the heels of exactly what you just described, it's over committing and then pulling all mm-hmm. the way back and then over committing again and pulling all the way back and trying to find balance and being obsessed with balance and like being so nitpicky about balance that like, I'm obsessed about this thing. And even just my organization is burning me out. It's not the service that's burning me out. It's, the, right. it's my obsession. That's burning me out. Um, and so when possible, I just try to think of it as seasons, you know, I'm relaxing into a season of high degree and incredibly dedicated service where it's most of my free time, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, when when COVID struck, um, a couple of my service positions on HA World became much bigger than they initially were, or they had been for a long time. Yes. And and the timing was such where it was like, you know, I could have pushed back, I could have drawn some lines and I'm good at drawing boundaries now, maybe too good, right? Mm-hmm. Um. But instead, it was like I will relax into that right now. And sometimes, when when things become dry or I rotate out of a position, um, I'll get possessed by a similar kind of like anxiety to re-enroll and re-enlist in the purpose, in the cause. And
0: mm-hmm. the truth
1: is, is you know, sometimes some space is okay, right? Okay. And uh, this is so weird how this this dream comes back. It's not even my dream, but. Okay. I had, a, I had a roommate, good friend, one of the friends, one of the guys, you know, one of the, the top, whatever, um, this is like 10 years ago now. Okay. He had, he had this dream that he was moving like a house, somebody's house. He was putting stuff into boxes, but there was like this pit boss or this, you know, manager that was just walking around being very, very micromanaging about this goes in that box. This goes in that box. That mm-hmm. box is done. Take the box up, put the box here, put it right there, you know? And uh, and and my buddy Seth, as he was uh, as he was loading these boxes and is being directed and and pushed and prodded and and told what to do, realizes that some of these boxes are like totally super full; they're packed to the brim, and you know they they're liable to bust open. They're so full. Mm-hmm. There's other boxes that have like some stuff in it, and there's some boxes that have like little to nothing in it. And, and you know he he goes to the guy and says. Like we are, we're dangerously packing some boxes. Some boxes are, we're not optimizing the use of space. And and you're being so ruthless about where these boxes go. It doesn't make any sense to me. We could be doing this completely differently. We could be packing all of the boxes at 75% loading from the bottom to the top, blah, blah, blah. The guy doesn't say anything, right? Just keeps directing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's getting more and more frustrated. This is a dream. This is a dream he had that I remember.
0: Sounds like and, my typical Sunday.
1: So so eventually he gets frustrated again, goes back up, and he's like, I will not continue doing this unless you tell me why we're we're loading empty boxes. Right. And the guy says, sometimes empty space is just as important as full space. Mm. And so we're not looking at filling every box to 50% capacity perfectly across the board. We're we're talking about sometimes booking empty space letting some space become totally packed, and kind of hoping, or just trusting, I guess, is maybe a better way to put it, that in the macro scale, when you look down, you'll realize that there's been balance all along, you know, that, Mm. um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily love the expression, but, you know, we're not given more than we can handle, you know, by whatever force you think is running your life. Um, Right. And so I do believe in some sort of kind of grand architect, that's kind of making making everything on a grand scale balanced and perfect. And I also admit a lot of humility in that like I'm a micro motherfucker. I am not <laughs> going to be able to tell you the right way to balance anything, whether that's my right. life, your life, the boxes, you know, etc. So, um that has just really stuck with me and uh and I think again it's kind of like relaxing into that sometimes you can get burnt out but I'm not made of glass either you know mm-hmm. I've been burnt out and I'm still here I've I've crumbled and burned and stressed and I've survived so that was right. probably the right amount of effort also you know mm-hmm. it has to be I think you know so
0: I like that that's I like not that a lot. an answer
1: though <laughs>
0: no but, so. but I think that is an answer at least for me and the way it hit me was um that ugh. English is hard today. The necessity of having an empty space. I read this book once called spiritual white space and it talked about how it was important in your spiritual life to have those moments of pause and to have spiritual white space. Right. Uh Um, and that's the only way that you can rebuild from things or that like there's a reason for a blank canvas, those kinds of things. Um, and I have just forgotten about what that book had taught me a year ago when I read it. And I dove into that, right? Like it created more time for um, not doing nothing, but like I suck at self-care. I just do. I try right. really hard. I usually have to write it in my calendar. I'm very organized, right? There's a little hour on my day. It's like, do your crossword because I love crosswords. <laughs> um and it makes me a little sad that like I have to plan my self care time, but for me it works. And, um, yeah, so totally. for th- that takeaway for me, f- at least for me was like, it's okay to have the the blank space, right? It's okay to have as Taylor Swift would say, it's okay to have that time. Um, because every time I am up for reelection or, or I'm done with a position or something, I'm just like, all right, got to do this again. Right. You know, yeah. no spirit of rotation, which, you know, blah, blah, blah. I feel over. There's so many things we could talk about my resentment toward service work for an entire hour, but that is not what we're about here. Um, <laughs> and I, I like yeah. your perspective. I think that was just what God wanted me to hear. Um, and well, let me so
1: one more thing on top, if you wouldn't yes, mind.
0: please add the, the sprinkles.
1: Then here's the, here's the cherry. Here's the cherry okay. the sprinkles is that, uh, usually the first thing is, is we get good at the white space. Or for mm-hmm. me, I'll just speak for myself. I got really good at the white space. I learned that lesson. I was like, you know what? I need to schedule some empty space. But the other lesson that I think I'm just barely learning now is, is also relaxing back into the big fat stuffed boxes, you know? Because okay. I got so good at saying no and so good at creating empty space. Mm-hmm. I'm a creative person. I love to make. I love to do. I'm, I'm, I'm happiest when my hands are dirty. Right. And I had optimized most of that out of my life and I was unhappy and fucking surprised. I didn't know <laughs> why. I, I, I was like, I have so much free, free space. I ha, I'm i not, over, not overwhelmed. I'm not exhausted. So um, I have to be careful. It's just like anything though. Maybe this is the mm-hmm. same thing. It, that's natural also is to over-optimize towards emptiness and then to come back here and- mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think there's any wrong way to do it, but that that was the first pitfall I fell into, you know, was over optimizing empty space and there I was doing nothing and unhappy, so.
0: Right, and it's, it seems to be that everything in my life, you know, is directed in a way where I'm led into uncomfortability and mm-hmm. I don't like it. But then in that uncomfortability, I grow. Right. I, I'm an addict. I do too much of everything, whether it's too much of doing a lot or too much of not doing enough. That's exactly. Right. And yeah. So eventually right. it's like, oh, I have to be shifted into this position of uncomfortability from which I can grow. Or not. I just, I choose to want to grow from things. I hate it. And I stomp my feet like a little child. And I, I bitch about writing inventory and I bitch about having to make an amends to someone who tells me to go kill myself. Like, you know, and that stuff happens, but I at least am willing to try. And, um, well, I say willing. I bitch about it, but I'm definitely, I don't, I do it. So Jamie, if you're watching, she's my <laughs> sponsor. I wrote my inventory. I'll call you tomorrow. Um, but anyway, that's a, that's a sidebar. Um, perfect, perfect. So that's a great perspective. Um, but you got to this point of learning these things and having these experiences over 12 years of sobriety. And probably a lot of it comes from, I don't think that experiences in an addiction are, or when you're actively drinking or using or whatever, swatting imaginary elves don't teach us things. I think they can teach us things too. Sure. Um but you have an incredible life now and that didn't happen overnight. What was the the progression of that? How did you get to this place? Um would you I don't know your backstory. So I'm trying to like slyly lead that in. Were you like yeah. off the street homeless? Did you have a high bottom? I don't know. Um taking I mean
1: Yeah. I got I uh I had a fast and low, low situation, okay. you know, I got, I got sober. My whole career was compressed between ages 13 and 18. Um, wow. and I had the most stereotypical progression you could, you could ask for, you know, the, for the co- the dare cops to tell you, don't smoke weed. This is where you'll go in this order at this span. Um, right. but that, that was it, you know, 18, I had been strung out on heroin for a couple of years and, um, and everybody and everything in my life looked very foreign. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, we all know, we all know exactly what that feels like or, or what that looks like. And, and that's, that, that was the same for me. Um, and I couldn't do anything about it. And other forces like police, <laughs> um, helped, helped me, those guys, my surroundings, um, <laughs> physically, but, uh, but then, yeah, then, then, you know, there was, a there was this really interesting window for me that I don't, okay. I used to, it used to be part of my story for a long time. Um, but in between jail and my last rehab stay, um, I went to, I was, I was living on a community out outside of Globe, Arizona. Um, and it was a first, it was the first opportunity I had to be surrounded by people who didn't know me, but wanted the best for me and were doing plenty to help me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I clearly had nothing to give clearly, they had nothing to right. offer. I was a leech. I was a leech. I I maybe wasn't stealing from them, but I still needed more than I could contribute. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was a two, three week stint that has been burned into my, I think, belief structure in an altruistic generosity based way. Right. And so, so the, the way I got to where I am just, this is a weird, this is going to be a fun little fast forward. I think that has been a a fundamental thread for me, which is, which is the, the, the illogical positive feedback loop of turning around and using the gifts that you've been given immediately to help other people. So, Mm -hmm. um, I'm a pretty ambitious person. I've also been blessed to have some really ambitious people in my life, recognize skills in me and put me to work. Um, and so I've had this interesting experience where I've been, I've been sought after by people as kind of like a number two or like the co-captain of many, many things. And I've learned so, so, so much in, in business and creative Mm -hmm. production, um, and just developed more and more creative skills and marketing skills and, um, and just. Eventually, you know, went off on my own, started my own little company and every step of the way, what was very spooky is that I had opportunity to plug those skills back into the fellowship, like real world skills. So I'll just give you some examples, but like the world convention in Portland, me Mm -hmm. and my designers did the art, you know, um, we did all the prints uh, the main line right now, um, I chair the main line. We've, we've, we do all the email production, data analysis, surveying and, uh, and design for that, you know, um, HA world services. I converted to QuickBooks. God bless you. Time. Right. We were in it. We were in a handwritten, like somebody had printed out like a bunch of lines on a piece of paper. We were doing it with, with pen and pa- pen and paper. Um, and it's not anything that anybody else couldn't do, but it was very serendipitous for me. And it Mm -hmm. really, really baked in that lesson that I learned on that community, which was that like, the lesson was this. It was, it was logically giving is subtraction. Right. When you give something, you don't have it anymore in almost every way. If I have an orange and I give you an orange, I don't have an orange anymore. The funny Mm -hmm. thing is, is about, you know, happiness and well-being and fulfillment and productivity and like the macro perspective of giving is it seems to be like growth based, okay. um, and this is proven. You know, in economics and and like all sorts of other uh, social social theory and stuff like that, which I can geek the hell out about. Um, <laughs> but it seems to me that. It just works and that I'm still testing the theory. I'm still, you know, I'm being given amazing things and then I give them away and then I get given more amazing things and I give those away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean that, that it's all charity work. It's, it's supply and demand. It's, you know, it's, um, if, if something is valuable, then people reward that value and reward that service with money and that money gets right. and recycled and whatever. And I don't have some, you know, unifying theory of economics necessarily but i do know that those systems work and incentives work and for me the incentive to do good feels good and gives me more energy and inspiration to do more and get more and do more and get more and so it's that's just what's happened you know i don't know that that's something that i can prescribe to anybody but that's that's what's happened for me
0: Mm -hmm. it's like the snowball effect right you continue as cause a snowball adds snow to it, but also loses snow on the back. That's true. So, Uh you know, as you're giving away, the snowball is actually building and it's, it's not just this thing where like, I don't know. I say that, like everyone in Georgia is going to gonna know about all this snow. Although we have snow here. It is hot as balls here and it gets <laughs> actually this cold. Yeah. I, I will say I feel bad for anyone. If we do end up having this world convention here in Atlanta in August, because people are like, Oh, Atlanta is going to be great. I'm like, it's going to feel like Phoenix, but it's going to be sticky and nasty and there's going to be bugs and it's going to be great. But um, Atlanta in August is a little bit wet and, um. It is, but we still have snow. It's weird. Georgia can't figure out what it's doing. It's drunk half the time. (laughs) It was 48 degrees when I got up this morning and it's May 12th. Um, yeah, it's, that concerns me for a whole global warming thing in the sense of it's going to be a hot, hot, hot fall. Um, But hey, then I'll just wear my shorts longer. So uh, (laughs) I'm so grateful you were able to be here today. There are so many more things we could talk about. And I would love to chat with you later about them because I have like a thousand questions. Um, But sadly, we do not have enough time for that. So um, I do know one more piece of you kind of gave this away before we started. Um, You have a sci-fi thing on Facebook that people should read. (laughs) Do you want to talk about that real quick before we're done? Yeah,
1: so... <laughs> um this is he's funny. blushing, yeah. guys. Well, Zora said, you know, do you some of my guests when they come on the show, they want to plug something? do you have anything you want to plug? And I was like, no, I don't have anything I want to plug. Um, and then I was like, well, I have been writing a sci-fi novel on Facebook with my friends. Um, I love it. And this is like the I mean, but this is this is a pure this is, it's perfect because it is full circle here. you know, this is pure unbridled inspiration and creativity mm-hmm. um, a, as a result of. You know, the constriction of our recent quarantine and, and stay-at-home orders and stuff like that. Um, but I, it's it's ridiculous. This was maybe the first week, second week that we were all supposed to be at home. Um, okay. and And I figured to myself, now's the time to write the book you've always said you were going to write. And uh, and so I was like, okay, well, how can I keep myself accountable to that? And then I was like, well, maybe maybe I can have everybody help me. So I went and <laughs> crafted this bizarre little structure, this format, and I said, "Help me write a story. The first person to comment on this thread gets to pick the genre. Second person that gets the comments on this thread gets to pick the setting and the time period. Ooh. Third person, you get to name the main character and develop them. You know, third person, the two supporting roles, etc." And uh, I couldn't have been more pleased with the people that actually picked up these these mm-hmm. roles. And they gave me just the most amazing source material to work with. And so I ran out, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm three chapters deep, something like 20-something pages into this weird story. I love it. In a galaxy far, far away. Ah, <laughs> speaking of my heart. We have, we have ripped Star Wars, Rick and Morty, Star Trek, Game of Thrones – uh hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and probably every other sci-fi element is somehow given some homage whether or not it's you know these people are living on tatooine or whatever or or
0: dantooine or or, whatever other well if you want to
1: suggest that you know maybe not
0: (laughs) dantooine but i will always suggest you include some form of ewok-esque thing because i love ewoks um I specifically wicket. So if that's my plug, you know, add a little bit of a there could be an Ewok love story. Who knows? You're gonna have to um, come we in can talk. I was gonna say, say I'm it. I'm really excited. I'm gonna go type something up after we're done with this. Um so yeah, check out Aiden's n- novel in process. Um yeah, I don't I does it have a name yet? Or are you still no. working on that? Okay. No, so name name is working accepting suggestions all right i'll work on that too um this provided me a lot of joy um not only the conversation but i'm really excited about this book because that's right up my alley um (laughs) i i may like to put on a lot of makeup but i am a total nerd um but so thank you so much for coming on here. I am incredibly grateful to, you took time out of your day, um, you know, from many miles away in many time zones um, that I'm finally just getting the hang of how to do the math when I plan <laughs> conference calls. Yeah. they be like, all right, it's going to start at 9 p.m. in Arizona. I'm like, OK, well, they don't operate under daylight savings. So I need to do plus this. <laughs> what well, time of that. year
1: is it? Is yeah, it exactly.
0: <laughs> um If only we would all get to that. But so for anyone who has watched or is listening after the fact, thank you so much for uh, joining us for episode 12 of control issues. Um, If you want to watch live on Facebook every Tuesday at 7 PM Eastern standard time, you can do so by liking the control issues, Facebook page and following it as well. It'll give you little notices and updates. Um, I also put updates on the Instagram at control issues, 19, um, inspirational messages every day. Sometimes you'll get to see some embarrassing photos of me from my past, which is always a good time. Got some new ones sent in the mail to me today. It's going to be great. Um, and yeah, so just, uh, Give it a like, follow on Instagram. If you have feedback or have suggestions of a guest or topics, do not hesitate to reach out to me. It is 2020. You can find me anywhere. I have a weird name, so that helps. But also you can send an email um, to controlissues19 at gmail.com. Always great to see the people who um, comment and share and like this, these posts Forrest is always here. Love you, man. Uh, it's always great to have you. Um, so hopefully you'll join us for episode 13 next week. I'm going to do something a little different and keep it spicy. So I'm really excited. Um, yeah, so that's about it. So grace and peace, my friends.